Chapter 20 Well, let's hear it, Dowager Queen Bernadine said. How exactly did you come to be in the company of a naked woman on the beach? She sat at the head of the council chamber. Technically, there wasn't a head place. The chamber was a round room with chairs around the wall, designed to encourage the idea that everyone's input was equal and welcome. But Bernadine still managed to look like she was sitting at the head of the room. Gustav swallowed. Skipping breakfast after surviving a kraken attack was making it hard to focus. Not to mention he hadn't had time to change. He was still barefoot, and his clothes were soaked with seawater. The last thing he wanted was to do battle with his grandmother. There's not much to tell. I walked to the beach to clear my head and found the young woman in the water. She clearly needed help, so I offered it to her. He was so agitated that he forgot to sign. Thomas quickly translated his words for the Dowager Queen. It is an outrage. Marquis Corbo said. We arranged for lovely eligible ladies to travel to the castle so you could meet them before the gala, and you insulted them by ranting about how you're in love with some mystery girl you met on the beach. Then you further insult them by bringing a naked woman home. Your Majesty, this behavior cannot continue. Not to mention you nearly drowned in a kraken attack yesterday, Martianus Rouge said. You have faced death far more times than any king should let alone one without an heir. The rest of the council murmured their agreement. I was looking for my father. I certainly didn't plan on being attacked by a kraken. Gustav looked to his grandmother for help. She had promised to support his search. She nodded at him. Gustav discussed the expedition with me beforehand and could not have predicted the kraken attack. We thought the mermaids had them under control, but apparently they don't. We will have to be more careful. Which is exactly why we should not welcome a mysterious young woman of questionable morals into the castle. Especially when she comes from the sea, Marquis Corbo said. You think she has something to do with the mermaids? Colette said. Her calm voice dissolved the tension in the room. She looked to Gustav for an answer. You have the most experience with mermaids. Do you think it's a possibility? She looks nothing like a mermaid, but I don't understand enough about them to say anything for sure. If she is somehow connected to the mermaids, that would be useful. She can be useful elsewhere, Marquis Corbo said. We're already housing a suite full of misfortunates, some of whom are taking long-term advantage of our hospitality. That merchant is still here. Dale received word that one of his ships may have survived the attack, Colette said. I told him he could stay until he learned its whereabouts. And you can't ask him to cross the sea when Kraken are attacking again. But we could ask him to get his own room in the city, Marquis Corbo said. He doesn't have any money. Enough, Dowager Queen Bernadine said. We have too much to do to waste time arguing about this. The sea girl will stay as my personal guest until further notice. As for the merchant, I trust we are not being bankrupted by Princess Colette's generosity. This question was directed to the royal treasurer, who shook her head. No, your highness. It costs nothing for someone to sleep in a bed that would have otherwise been empty, and we always have extra food at meals. The hospitality expenses are minimal. Especially when compared to the cost of the birthday gala, which has once again exceeded its budget. 
Colette shot a triumphant look at Marquis Corbeau, then smiled at Gustav. Gustav nodded in an absent-minded way. He was trying to pay attention, but he was also thinking about the woman. How had she ended up naked on the beach? There had been no sign of a shipwreck. If she was simply a local village girl who had gone for a swim, she could have told them that somehow. She could have agreed to be escorted home. He knew her from somewhere. Those eyes. He realized he had closed his own eyes and forced them open. No matter what else had happened, he refused to fall asleep in a council meeting. Gustav glanced around the room. Most of the council hadn't noticed his lapse, but his grandmother had. Last it all. If we have concluded our business, then I suggest we conclude the meeting, Marquis Corbo said. I am still busy finalizing details for the gala. Details that weren't part of the approved budget, Martianus Rouge said. Perhaps you would like to enlighten us about that. His Majesty is tired and should not be bored with such trivial matters. Martianus Rouge leaned forward, her eyes glittering. Gustav slumped back in his chair. He knew that look. This meeting was about to escalate into a war. I have something to say, Dowager Queen Bernadine said. Marquis Corbo looked relieved at the interruption. Martianus Rouge looked disappointed. I believe we have been unfair to Gustav. I would like to remedy that situation. Gustav sat up a little straighter as everyone turned their attention to him. Had they realized he was daydreaming about mysterious blue eyes instead of focusing on the meeting? No, that was impossible. So what did his grandmother want to say? We have asked Gustav to learn the duties of king and run the country while he searches for both his father and for a bride. It is too much. Especially since he has now twice been injured by Kraken and is still recovering. No one asked him to search for his father, Marquis Corbo said. That quest has proved deadly and pointless and should be discontinued. But father moved yesterday, and the light changed directions while we were sailing, as if we had passed him, Gustav said. It seems too much of a coincidence that a kraken also happened to be guarding that particular place in the ocean. This is the best lead we've had since he disappeared. I think it is possible that the mermaids are holding him underwater. Be that as it may, the search must be postponed until after your gala, Gustav, Dowager Queen Bernadine said. You cannot risk yourself again in such a manner. You must focus on hosting your guests and finding a bride. At the very least you should get to know the young ladies who have been invited to the castle. Gustav narrowed his eyes, and his thoughts strayed to the woman from the beach. He wouldn't mind spending more time with her. Maybe he could learn her name somehow or remember where he had seen her before. A golden fog wrapped around his mind, teasing his memories and reminding him that he was already in love with someone. I know who I will marry, he said. I just have to find the woman who rescued me. The council members shared nervous looks but did not comment. Your Majesty, there is no need to obsess over mystery women, Marquis Corbo said. I have arranged for many suitable young ladies to attend the gala. I certainly hope they are more suitable than Lady Annabelle, Dowager Queen Bernadine said. Marquis Corbo glowered. Any of the young ladies I have suggested would make excellent brides. But since King Gustav has proved himself unreasonably picky, I have widened the net, so to speak. 
Aren't you worried about the expense of housing so many guests? Gustav said. He winked at Colette. She giggled, and Marquis Corbo scowled. We are getting off topic, Dowager Queen Bernadine said. As I began to say, we have asked too much of Gustav. We must lighten his load so that he can focus on finding a bride and recovering from his injuries. I propose we relieve him of his administrative duties until after the gala. Gustav stared at his grandmother. I have put my whole heart into ruling this kingdom. Are you saying it's not enough? Calm down, Gustav. I am saying that it is too much. You cannot rule with your whole heart while also looking for love. I do not intend to marry until I find father. And you cannot be a proper king until you do. She was giving him a look. The one that made him feel like he was a child again and had done something disappointing. Someone must rule, Marquis Corbo said. You cannot expect the council to cover for his majesty. The extra paperwork alone. I propose that we name Princess Colette co-regent until after the gala. She can review and approve any decrees that need royal approval. Colette gasped. Oh, I couldn't, grandmother. Gustav is doing just fine. I could never take his place. She looked at Gustav, her eyes full of apology. He shook his head and smiled at her. No one accused you of that, Colette. Do you truly think I'm incompetent, grandmother? He watched Thomas translate and scolded himself for being inconsiderate and not signing the words himself. Having an overwhelming day was no reason to be rude. If he was honest, he wouldn't mind a few days off. He just didn't want to spend them searching for a bride when the options presented were Kara, Elaine, and Lady Annabel, And the mysterious woman from the beach. But none of that mattered, because he was in love with the woman who had rescued him. Gustav rubbed his temples, trying to fend off his building headache. This was all a bit much. Maybe his grandmother was right. Dowager Queen Bernadine watched him in silence for a moment, as if his actions had confirmed her theories. You're more than capable, Gustav, but you are also injured and distracted. Your birthday gala is more than a family party or a chance to find a bride. It is an affair of state. You need to be well rested to greet diplomats and any royal families that visit. There will be several, Marquis Corbo said. Princesses of. Perhaps I should clarify my proposal, Bernadine interrupted. We will empower Colette to handle the administrative matters of Montaigne for a short time. Gustav will continue to handle diplomatic responsibilities. Does anyone have any objections? She looked around the room, daring anyone to object. No one did. Gustav studied his sister, trying to read the truth behind her guarded expression. Do you object, Colette? She shook her head. I'm happy to help however I can, but how will it look? I don't want anyone to think that you're incapable or that I'm trying to overshadow you. If anyone is to be given more power, it should be the council, Marquis Corbo said. I suppose I could take on extra duties if necessary. Or perhaps I could instruct Martianus Rouge in how to complete the necessary tasks. Martianus Rouge sniffed. I hardly need your instructions to run a kingdom, Marquis. Besides, I thought you were too busy with gala preparations to take on extra duties. You truly don't object, 
Gustav? Colette asked. It is a temporary measure that will help the gala go more smoothly. I don't see any harm in it. Although, given the way his grandmother's eyes twinkled, perhaps he should. Well, too late to turn back now. Maybe if he ended this meeting, he could finally eat something and change into dry clothes. I make a motion for Princess Colette to be given administrative authority until after the gala, Gustav said. I second it, Marchioness Rouge said. Meet with me later, Princess. I will show you what needs to be done over the next few days. She gave Marquis Corbeau a look as she said this, daring him to interfere or offer help. The Marquis was too busy watching Gustav to notice. You still have diplomatic duties to complete this afternoon, Your Majesty. You have received birthday gifts from royal families and need to open them and write thank you notes. Gustav swallowed a sigh. His father was somewhere under the ocean, his true love was somewhere on the edge of it, and he was spending his time opening presents. Is there any other business before we adjourn? Dowager Queen Bernadine said. Everyone shook their heads. Then please excuse me while I check on my guests. I invited the young ladies to my parlor for tea and sewing. Will you join us before you begin your training, Colette? Colette nodded. Dowager Queen Bernadine gestured for Thomas to push her chair out of the room. Gustav stood to follow her. A lady's sewing circle was not his preferred way to spend an afternoon, but he should check on the woman from the ocean to make sure she had recovered from her ordeal. It was only polite. Marquis Corbo ducked in front of him before he could walk through the door. Your Majesty, we will need to complete some paperwork to make Princess Colette's appointment official. Gustav sighed. More paperwork. He truly did want to help his country, but why did the tasks involved in ruling have to be so very tedious? Perhaps once this paperwork was done and Colette was helping with administrative duties, he would have a break from those tasks and be able to convince Captain Whist to sail back to look for his father. Which would be a more exciting prospect if he had any idea what to do once they were there. If his father was under the sea, Gustav needed mermaids to retrieve him. And except for the mysterious gift of a shell, the mermaids had offered no help at all. It was all extremely frustrating. The fog in his head amplified his frustration and agreed that the search was a hopeless matter. He needed to be out on the beach looking for the girl he loved, not sailing the ocean in a pointless quest for his father. Gustav pushed the thought aside as he stood to follow Marquis Corbo to his office. When he finished this paperwork, he would have more time to focus on what mattered. If only he knew what that was. Chapter 21 Now that she was dressed, Fiora felt more nervous than ever about being in the castle. The squid ink dye held fast to her hair when she bathed, but would it be enough of a disguise to fool the royal family? She studied her reflection in the mirror as a servant helped her dress. She certainly looked different without her red hair but her face was still her own. It was only a matter of time before someone recognized her. She needed to leave before that happened. Fiora glanced around the room, searching for anything valuable that was small enough to hide in her skirts when she escaped. She felt a twinge of guilt at the idea of stealing from people who had been so kind to her but pushed it aside. They wouldn't miss whatever she took. If they did, she could repay them once she had found work. 
I'll need to take your measurements so we can tailor something for you, miss, the servant said. Fiora gave up her search and returned to studying her reflection in the mirror. The dark green dress she wore was not a perfect fit, but it was surprisingly close since the servants had been given so little time. The hems were decorated with an embroidered pattern of silver seashells, and the fabric was far nicer than anything her father had ever provided for her. This was an expensive gown. Perhaps she didn't need to steal after all. They had given her the dress. If she sold it, it was valuable enough to provide for her needs until she found work. Maybe she should stay a little longer. If they tailored more dresses for her, she could keep one and take the extras to sell when she made her escape. Fiora frowned at her reflection. It was slightly less blatant theft but still dishonest. Well, she was on her own now. She would have to do whatever was necessary to survive. The servant finished taking her measurements and stepped away. Fiora twirled in front of the mirror, admiring how the fabric moved through the air. Almost like the way her hair floated through water when she was a mermaid. Pain shot through her feet, and Fiora stumbled. She grabbed a chair to catch her balance and leaned against it until the pain subsided. Are you injured, miss? Fiora sat and looked at the bottom of her feet. They were a little scratched from walking on the rocks, but nothing too serious. Nothing that would have caused a burst of pain like that. That could be a problem. If she was going to run, it would be best to have her feet in good condition. Her pearl ring had not caused any side effects when it transformed her into a human, so Fiora had not expected any from this enchantment. But it seemed it had been a mistake. First her lost voice, now pain in her feet. What else could go wrong? She didn't want to know the answer to that question. Fiora turned her attention back to the room. There were several silver candlesticks that were small enough to take if she needed to limp away before the dresses were ready. It wasn't much of a plan, but it was something. Fiora walked over to the window and looked at the scenery below. Her room was on the third floor and provided a panoramic view of the gardens and the ocean. She half expected to see a kraken or an army of merfolk coming after her, but the water was calm. Just endless waves with ships sailing over them. No clues about what was happening under the surface. Whatever it was, that was no longer her concern. She felt a bad for leaving without saying goodbye to Zoe, but what else could she have done? Her family wanted her locked up. Or dead, if they supported Leander's plan. Fiora wiped a tear away. She wasn't enough. No matter how hard she tried, she was never good enough. She understood that the merfolk had felt betrayed when she left them to join her father, but what choice did she have? He had promised her a place to belong and she had no reason not to believe him. Maybe if her aunts had shared their suspicions about his role in her mother's death, she would have acted differently. What had they meant by that? Fiora ignored the voice in the back of her head that said she probably would not have listened if Kathleen and Althea had told her the story. She had idolized her father when she was young, been devoted to her entire human family. Until she'd come to know them better. Fiora wiped away more tears of frustration. These thoughts were not helpful. The past was the past, and she needed a plan for the future. She was human again, and this time her humanity didn't depend on anyone but her. She had exactly what she had always wanted. 
Time to move forward. The servant tactfully ignored the tears and presented a selection of shoes in various sizes. Fiora slipped her feet into a stylish pair of silver heels that matched the embroidery on her gown. Another burst of pain rushed through her feet when she stood. Fiora collapsed onto the bed and glared at the shoes. Heels had never been comfortable, but they had never been torture either. This was not how this was supposed to go. Should I call the doctor, miss? Fiora shook her head. Someone knocked on the door before the servant could ask further questions. Fiora tried to call out and tell them to go away, but her voice made no sound. They kept knocking. She gestured to the servant to open the door. A well-dressed woman with streaks of gray in her auburn hair stood on the other side. Fiora recognized her from the crowd that had gathered in the hallway when she arrived. She kicked off the shoes and curtsied, wobbling a little as her legs shook. The woman nodded in response and waved her hand to dismiss the servant, who curtsied to Fiora and hurried out the door. Forgive my disturbing you. I am Marchioness Rouge, a member of His Majesty's Royal Council. I wanted to check on you and personally welcome you to the castle. Did the servants see to your needs? Fiora nodded. She was as well as could be expected under the circumstances. She would be even better if she could find some food, but she wasn't quite sure how to communicate that. Marchioness Rouge looked pleased but did not smile. You have been invited to take refreshments with the Dowager Queen Bernadine and join her sewing circle for the afternoon. Do you feel well enough to do so? Fiora considered this. On one hand, spending more time with the royal family was risky. On the other hand, food would be most welcome. As would sewing. Embroidery always cleared her head. It is a great honor, Marchioness Rouge said. And it would be polite to accept the invitation as you are the personal guest of the Dowager Queen. Fiora nodded. It would look suspicious if she refused their hospitality, and without her voice, she didn't have the means to make up a convincing excuse. I see you are nearly ready, the Marchioness said. Once you put your shoes on, I will personally escort you to the sewing room. She stated this as if it also were a great honor. It probably was. A servant should be responsible for such a task. Not a Marchioness. If the Marchioness knew that Fiora was a princess, she might feel differently about who was bestowing an honor. Fiora scowled. She was trying to stay unnoticed and undiscovered. The last thing she needed was for anyone to realize she was important. She selected the most sensible shoes available in her size, a pair of blue slippers that didn't match the dress, and nodded to the woman. The Marchioness eyed Fiora up and down, doubtless debating if she should comment that the slippers were hardly appropriate for paying a call to the Dowager Queen. She must have decided against it, because she led Fiora down the hall without saying a word. Fiora followed, doing her best not to show discomfort. Her feet burned. She looked down several times, sure that they must be bleeding through the thin shoes. But whatever was causing the pain must be internal and related to the enchantment. The scratches on her feet weren't deep enough to cause it, and there was no other sign of injury. Blast. The Marchioness noticed her slow pace and matched it without comment. She led Fiora to a spacious parlor with a balcony overlooking the ocean. Sunshine and a fresh sea breeze streamed through the open windows. Five ladies sat in a circle near the window. Dowager Queen Bernadine, 
Princess Colette, and Lady Annabel were sewing. Kara was knitting. Elaine was reading a book. The translator sat by the Dowager Queen's side. Your guest, Dowager Queen Bernadine, Marchioness Rouge said. I will see you in a few hours to review the budget, Princess Colette. The Marchioness curtsied and left the room. Fiora stood awkwardly in the doorway, not sure where to sit. There were a few seats in the circle, but also some in the corner of the room. Perhaps that would be safer. Come and sit down, girl, the Dowager Queen said in her booming voice. Take the chair by me. Fiora curtsied in response. The shift in balance sent a wave of pain up her leg, and she stumbled. The Dowager Queen did not comment on her lack of balance, but Lady Annabel sniffed in derision. Fiora took the offered seat with her head held high and her nose tilted slightly up. Lady Annabel scowled at her, then sniffed again and turned back to her sewing. And what shall we call you, miss? Dowager Queen Bernadine said. Grandmother, she can't speak. You know that. Colette made gestures with her hands as she spoke. The young man did the same, although the double translation seemed unnecessary. Fiora watched them with interest. Yes, the signs were very similar to the mermaid sign language. The main difference seemed to be that the humans used smaller gestures. Almost as if they were whispering. Fiora supposed it made sense. The humans were using the sign language to communicate in close, intimate settings. The mermaids often communicated across larger distances while singing enchantments. There's a difference between not speaking and being unable to speak, Dowager Queen Bernadine said. Are we sure she can't? She gave Fiora a very sharp stare. Fiora clasped her hands in her lap and tried to look humble. Best not to antagonize the Dowager Queen. She's our guest, Grandmother. Be kind, Colette signed. Bernadine gave Fiora another piercing look and returned to her sewing. Fiora leaned over to see what she was working on. It was a pattern of seashells and water lilies sewn in various shades of blue and green. Lovely. She tried to say that, but no sound came out. Fiora grimaced. Being mute was beyond annoying. I believe you met Lady Annabel this morning, Colette said. And these are my friends Kara and Elaine. They are attending Gustav's birthday gala and came a few days early. Colette had picked up her sewing and was no longer signing since she wasn't addressing her grandmother directly. The young man at the Queen's side took this over, translating the conversation for the Dowager Queen. Fiora nodded towards him. Oh, forgive my manners. This is Thomas. He translates for my grandmother since she has difficulty hearing. Thomas nodded at Fiora and flushed a little. Apparently he was used to staying in the background. That was the role Fiora needed to play. Maybe she could watch Thomas for some ideas on how to avoid notice. So what should we call her? Lady Annabel said. And how long will she be staying? Fiora recognized that tone. It was the voice of a woman who smelled competition and didn't like it. Lady Annabel, Kara and Elaine had doubtless been invited to the castle early to be presented as marriage prospects for King Gustav. It seemed even when she wasn't a princess, Fiora found herself in a sort of princess test. She met Lady Annabel's challenging gaze and shrugged, doing her best to look innocent. As she intended, this only irritated Lady Annabel further. Lady Annabel, 
Will you please pass me another skein of yarn? Kara asked. Lady Annabelle did so, and Fiora took advantage of the distraction to slip off her shoes and kick them under her chair. Even while she was sitting, they pinched and made her feet ache. She pressed her feet against the marble floor. The cold stone soothed the pain, and she relaxed a little. Servants carried trays of food into the room, and Fiora gratefully accepted a plate. Conversation slowed while the ladies ate, and Fiora studied the room. She couldn't help comparing it to the castle in Kel. While her father's castle was made of thick stone that created a dark, damp atmosphere, the Montaigne castle was all elegant marble and open windows. It seems to be made of sunlight and fresh air. The food was the same. Kellish cuisine was heavy and dark. Better than mermaid food but not by much. The Montaigne luncheon was the best thing Fiora had ever eaten. She had sampled the cuisine of many nations while participating in princess tests but never had anything this good. I've never seen a lady eat so much, Lady Annabelle said. Then again, they do say that sea air works up an appetite, and you've had plenty of that recently. Fiora simply smiled and took another sandwich from a silver tray. She knew Lady Annabelle's game. She was the master of that game. No way was she letting this jealous harpy ruin her day. She wasn't competing, so nothing Lady Annabelle said mattered. It wouldn't have mattered anyway. Servants cleared away the lunch trays, and the ladies returned to their tasks. Elaine was deeply engrossed in her book and ignored everyone else in the room. Kara's knitting began to take the shape of a sock. Colette picked up a sewing basket and offered it to Fiora. Would you like to sew? Lady Annabelle, who was embroidering a pattern of seashells that was a blatant copy of Dowager Queen Bernadine's, sniffed derisively. You really think some wild girl from the ocean is well versed in the refined arts? Honestly, Princess Colette. You'll only make her feel bad about her lack of accomplishments. Fiora smiled innocently at Lady Annabelle and took the basket. She chose a square of white linen, secured it in an embroidery hoop, and threaded her needle with crimson thread. Then she ignored everyone and lost herself in her work. As always, the repetitive stabbing motion soothed her nerves. She finished a rose in the center of the fabric and changed to green thread to make a decorative border of leaves around it. When Fiora finally did look up, Lady Annabelle's scowl had deepened. Her own project was moving slowly, hampered by knots and uneven stitches. Fiora's was perfect. Never challenge a woman to a sewing competition when that woman had learned to sew as if her life depended on it. Her life had depended on it. Fiora had studied all the traditional skills for the princess test hoping they would help her win a prince's affection and power the pearl ring so she could remain human. But it hadn't been enough. She rested the embroidery hoop on her lap and looked out the window. A breeze blew spray off the waves and carried the scent of salt water into the room. Why did it smell like home? She had spent her entire life trying to escape the ocean. Now even the scent of it made her miss the underwater world. Fiora gritted her teeth and turned back to her embroidery. Maybe stabbing the fabric a few hundred more times would make her feel better. Chapter 22 I'm sorry, Your Majesty. The Delphinet needs repairs. I can't take it out again until they're finished. Gustav bit back the frustrated words he longed to unleash. It wasn't Captain Wist's fault that Kraken had attacked and damaged his ship. 
or that his father was still missing. But now that he had finished the paperwork to let Colette take over administrative duties, Gustav wanted to take advantage of his extra time before he was pushed into something else. Surely there's another ship that could be spared. Perhaps there is. If you can convince the council to risk it. That's not likely. The council wants me to focus my full attention on finding a bride. So that's why you're hiding in my office? Gustav laughed. We're discussing official business. Not accomplishing anything, but at least we're trying. Isn't there anything you can do? We were so close to finding him. The captain rubbed his forehead. The navy is already taxed to capacity. I've asked every merchant ship in port to watch for mermaids or anything unusual, but I can't dedicate another ship to the search without council approval. Gustav crossed his arms, then uncrossed them. Then crossed them again. Captain Wist's reasoning made sense, but that didn't make it any less frustrating. We can't just leave him out there, Gustav said. Find King Francois. He checked the light's direction with his compass. It remained the same, which meant the mermaids hadn't moved his father. It wasn't much comfort, but it was something. Now all Gustav needed was a ship and a way to contact the mermaids. He pulled the shell out of his pocket and handed it to his friend. He hadn't showed Kathleen's shell to anyone yet, but maybe a sea captain would have an idea what to do with it. What do you make of this? Captain West took the shell with raised eyebrows. Collecting seashells is a peaceful hobby and harmless enough. If it helps relieve the stress of running a kingdom, then I wish you luck. Gustav glared. A mermaid gave that to me. Well, she gave it to Princess Karina, who gave it to me. Have you ever seen anything like it? Captain Wist whistled and looked closer at the shell. There are decorative markings carved on the surface, but I expect you've already noticed that. They don't seem to mean anything. You don't recognize them. Captain Wist shook his head. Gustav took the shell back and tucked it into his pocket. It's the only connection I have to the mermaids. I thought perhaps it was a communication charm, but instead it seems to be a useless trinket. Do you know anyone who might know something about mermaid magic? Maybe you should ask your new guest. I heard she has a connection to the sea. Captain Wist winked, and Gustav groaned. Has news really traveled so fast? The king finding a naked woman on the beach and bringing her home is pretty newsworthy. It's nothing like that. I'm just trying to help her. And you also need a bride. Whoever she is, she's bound to be better than the mess your family rounded up. Lady Annabelle, Kara, and Elaine are perfectly respectable young ladies. I'm not even going to dignify that with a response. Gustav pictured Kathleen and tried to find similarities between her and the woman from the beach. They both had enormous blue eyes. Did that mean anything? Was that why he thought she looked familiar? The longer he thought about the woman, the more his head ached. Then a golden haze washed the pain away, and Gustav remembered that he was already in love. Why did he keep forgetting that? It doesn't matter how many girls they invite here. I know who I want to marry. Since when? Is it Princess Serafina? You seem to get along well with her when we were in Santel. What? No, it's not Serafina. She's a little too intense.
Besides, she is crown princess of Santel. She can't marry a king from another kingdom. Technically she could, but I see your point. It would make things politically complicated. So who are you marrying? Gustav rubbed his head, trying to banish the headache that kept building. A woman saved me on the beach after the wreck. I'm going to find her and marry her. Captain Whist raised an eyebrow. I suppose that's one way to go about it, but what if she doesn't want you? Maybe she was just helping a stranger because she's a decent person. At least he hadn't called Gustav crazy and said the woman didn't exist. It bothered Gustav that Captain Whist's argument sounded reasonable. What if his lady didn't want him? You didn't automatically fall in love with someone just because you saved their life. The fog wrapped around that thought and pulled the doubt away. Of course the woman loved him. Why wouldn't she? A knock interrupted Gustav's thoughts. Captain West looked to the king, checking to see if their meeting was finished. Unfortunately it was. The search for his father remained as fruitless as ever. Gustav nodded, and Captain West called, Come in. Del Mercer peeked through the door. The merchant had been given new clothes at some point and looked less depressed than he had in the throne room. His face lit up when he saw Gustav. Oh, your majesty. I was hoping to ask Captain Whist if he has received any news of my surviving ship. What luck to find you here as well. I have several questions about mermaids for you. Gustav swallowed. Unfortunately, I'm late for an engagement with my grandmother but I'm sure Captain Whist will be happy to answer your questions as best he can. Please excuse me. He bowed and hurried from the room, ignoring Captain Whist's exasperated look at the merchant's hopeful gaze. 